everyone, and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by the Western Weekender and recorded at the studios of Vintage FM in Penrith. I'm Troy Dodds, and in this podcast series, we're joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and their role in its history. My guest today is John Scott. Many of you would know him from Scott's Auto One, but his family history in Penrith is nothing short of remarkable and indeed very long. I really hope you enjoy our chat. John, welcome to the On The Record podcast. Well, thank you very much, Troy. John, uh, where and when were you born? Troy, I was born in 1946, and I absolutely born in Penrith, and I absolutely love Penrith. Our family has always lived in Penrith, and uh, it's a great place to live. And your parents, Jim and Doreen, they, they were very well known in Penrith, and, and in fact go back several generations. What, what do you remember most of, of, of them? Well, my mother, she lived at Ludnam on Park Road. That's next to the showground. And it was a huge property that my grandfather had. Um, my, my grandparents were actually buried in uh, a, a cemetery at Ludnam. Her dad uh, was in the Ludnam Light Horse uh, Squadron and his photo is hanging up in the Ludnam Hall. My mother, she was a warm, loving and wonderful person. She was a very talented musician who loved to play the piano. Uh, my father certainly would not have been the man if it wasn't for my mum. My dad, well, he never knew his parents. Uh, they passed away during the influenza epidemic just after the First World War. Uh, so Jim opened his first business in, in 1936. Um, what was it? Where was it? Um, it's a, a long time ago, but it's, um, yep. you know, it was a pretty important uh, little era for Penrith there. Well, my dad was a qualified diesel mechanic, an engineer, and he rented a two-car garage in High Street, 598 High Street, actually, where the Centrelink building is today. Uh, he loved motorbikes. In fact, he used to race them. He raced up at Bathurst and the old Penrith Speedway. Uh, that's where the Thornton Apartments are being built at the moment. And with his workshop, he used to repair the motorbikes and a lot of people from Castle Ray, the farmers, would bring jobs in for him to weld. But with the outbreak of the Second World War, he closed the workshop and he was sent to the Commonwealth Engineering Factory at Clyde to manufacture uh, the weapons for war. Uh, but in, uh, after the war, um, he reopened the workshop and in 1949 he had an opportunity to buy the property and with a good relationship that he had from his bank manager, uh, my mum and dad were able to buy that property. It was a huge property and also about that time uh, my mum and dad were married. And they worked very, very hard to pay it off. They worked night and day, seven days a week, just about. And my mum, well, she opened a corner convenience store on, on the corner of High and Worth Street. And back in those days, just after the war, uh, well, you just couldn't go into a shop and buy milk, butter, mm. bread, uh, and, and not even petrol because everything was rationed. And you needed coupons issued by the government to be able to buy these things. Well, Dad started to repair and sell cars. Uh, he sold Vauxhalls and Buicks. Um, and, of course, uh, he sold spare parts, and that's where I came in later in the scene. Uh, he actually lost the franchise to sell those cars because he was selling non-genuine spare parts at much better prices. 
And I guess, just interestingly, though, it's interesting how that evolved because people do, um, in those days, they started a business with one thing and then it would evolve into, into something else. You know, the, the, the vision would change a lot, wouldn't it? Oh, Troy, you're very right there. In fact, uh, my father was very diversified. Uh, you know, like on that site there, as I said, where Centrelink is, um, not only did he repair cars, uh, but he had a smash repair business. He had a tow truck. And as a little boy, uh, I can remember my dad would go out late at night um, to re- with his tow truck to retrieve uh, some poor uh, vehicle mm-hmm. that had been involved in an accident. So... They worked very hard to to pay off that property. And look, just tell me a bit about that service station. Your dad got into selling petrol, but it was a pretty unique operation, very different to what we see today with all the, the plethora of service stations around Penrith to get your petrol. It was very different. Well, Troy, times were very different back in those days. And in fact, um, a lot of people would uh, travel to Katoomba and the Blue Mountains for the weekend. And, of course, my dad had the petrol garage, uh, as I said, where Centrelink is today. And his petrol garage, well, that was the last one at city prices. And then he took out a lease on the petrol garage on the opposite side. Uh, I guess that would be where the entrance to the Penrith Plaza is in High Street. Uh, And then, of course, uh, he had the first petrol station at city prices. So he got them both <laughs> ways. But that particular service station, well, it was multi-brands. Um, it sold Neptune, which became known as Shell, COR, Colonial Oil Refinery, well, that became BP, Plume, Plume was Mobile, and Atlantic was Esso and Golden Fleece. Well, would you believe that all these different brands of petrol They're all pumped from the same underground petrol tank. And uh, the Shell Oil Company made my dad an offer too good to refuse to just sell one brand of petrol. And uh, that was like winning the lottery for my dad. (laughs) Absolutely. And as you say, a very, uh, a very different era when it comes to petrol stations. The, I'm guessing no automatic pumps or anything like that in terms of putting it in or oh, no, uh, no. All, all, uh, all people coming out and helping you pump the petrol. And to think all these brands of petrol all came from the one <laughs> underground tank. Well, you, know, you can't get in trouble for that uh, these days. But yeah, it, and I mean, that's the funny thing, isn't it? The things that happened in businesses that, oh, you yes. know, are just um, we, were, we were chatting off air earlier about the, the fact that History often tells the truth, not uh, not the time in a lot of cases. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> and, as, and as you say, it's it's interesting you mentioned the locations because uh, I, I love always looking back and saying, oh, that's the Centrelink building today. Yep. And what, what, what do you feel when you walk past uh, you know, the Centrelink building and you remember that that's where it was or High and Worth Street with a convenience store? Do you, do you always have a bit of reflection when you're walking past those? Those places? Well, I certainly do. But I'm immensely proud that the family still has a financial interest in the business. Um, um, Look, I was personally able to, uh, with a guy that um, specialised in uh, tendering for uh, government buildings, and uh, with him we did a joint venture with the development there, and it's absolutely fantastic. There is a continuing relationship that the family has with the business, and my mum, well, she was very, very chuffed about it. Yeah, okay, that's that's amazing that you still managed to to keep that up. Hey, look, our older listeners, they obviously might remember the uh, the Dungowan Theatre, and it was on Station Street, um, the very first picture theatre in Penrith. So these days, we think about. 
Hoyts and uh, and all the multiplexes and whatnot, but this was the first one. Your mum and dad owned it. What do you remember of the Dungowan Theatre? Well, um, they did uh, purchase it uh, in the early 50s, and it really was the very first uh, picture theatre in Penrith, uh, long before the Nepean Theatre that opened in High Street uh, much later on. Um, but it was burnt down, and uh, the owner at the time obviously rebuilt it. And, of course, about that time was uh, the Great Depression and, as I said, the influenza epidemic. And so uh, he rebuilt it as a multi-purpose um, complex uh, it had a dance floor. The dance floor was absolutely magnificent. And I can remember helping my mum on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, we would get beeswax and you would shred the beeswax all around the dance floor. And then you'd have sawdust. The sawdust uh, was soaked with kerosene. You would spread the sawdust around and that would melt the, the wax. You'd sweep it up later and you had a magnificent uh, dance floor. Uh, alongside the, the auditorium or the dance floor uh, was the supper room and uh, it was truly multi-purpose as I said because often there would be uh, roller skates, um, a roller skating rink and um, on Saturday mornings um, long before any of the supermarkets came to Penrith they would have uh, like farmers markets where you could buy butter in bulk and uh, meat, all kinds of produce, uh, and from the farmers of the Castlereagh area. Because our, our, our younger listeners might not know you, exactly what you said. You can't just pop into Coles and Woolworths back no. then. It was, you know, you needed that local produce and um, you'd buy in bulk and, and all those things at those local markets, which have actually, ironically, come a bit back, back into fashion these days. Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we're spoilt now. <laughs> now, the Dungowan hosted a lot of other, as you mentioned, ice skating and whatever, but boxing as well was, was a big part of it. Uh, yes, it sure did. Uh, uh, I can remember uh, uh, setting up this boxing ring in the middle of the dance floor and uh, many title flights, fl- title fights were, were held at the Dungown. Um, and on one occasion, uh, there was a mismatch. And I don't know what quite happened, but my dad was subpoenaed to appear in a court uh, up at uh, Inverell. Um, and I remember because uh, he took me with him. Um, but there are many other things. Uh, the Dungown was used for concerts and balls, the Catholic Church and even Rotary had functions there. Troy, would you also believe that, you know, they're travelling showmen. Uh, they had magicians and hypnotists, singers and comedians, and they would put shows. And these showmen would go from around all the shopkeepers in Penrith. Uh, they would offer uh, tickets, free tickets to the local shopkeepers to give out to people that could come to these concerts. And there were many entertainers, uh, Reg Lindsay, uh, Slim Dusty, Bobby Lim, Frank Ifield, Cole Joy, Johnny O'Keefe, just to name a few. Mm, some of the, the big names of, of that era. Oh, absolutely. But there was one character, I tell you what, uh, my dad was a bit concerned about him. Uh, his name was Texas Jack, and he was an old fella. And on stage, he stood at one end of the stage and he had this rifle pointed over his shoulder, uh, pointing at something or other, and the idea was that he was going to shoot something uh, off off his head. Uh, my dad was pretty worried about that one, but uh, it all turned out okay. 
I mentioned um, that it was on Station Street, just for, for our listeners who, who don't remember it. Where exactly on Station Street was the Dungowan? Oh, yes, I should tell you that. Um, well, um, the front door of the theatre would have been right where the flyovers were uh, to the upstairs car park oh, okay. of uh, Walton's Trade Secret. Trade Secret. Yep. Okay. It's had many... Uh, Many names. And the main theatre was upstairs or...? or oh, no, no. It was, on, it was on, on that lower level? On that lower level, Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was, of course, originally uh, known as the Dungowan, but then it was renamed the Avon Theatre. Can you remember why and how that came about? Well, it was very hard work setting the auditorium up for this function, some other function and what have you. So it was far easier to run it as a permanent picture theatre. Mm. And my dad came up with the name Avon, Avon, uh, being the first letter of the alphabet, it was a short four-letter word, so, you know, for neon signs and advertising, it was a lot easier. And, of course, uh, William Shakespeare is known as the uh, Bart of Avon on the Stratford of Avon, uh, so it just seemed a logical thing to call it Avon. Um, the Avon Dam and the Nepean Dam are uh, side by side, and the Nepean was the other picture theatre in Penrith, uh, the very first movie my dad showed was The African Queen, and that starred Humphrey Bogart and Catherine Hepburn. But we run it as a family business. Uh, my mum and dad and my brother and sister and I, we all worked in the picture theatre, and in 1956, television came along, and we had it had an absolutely devastating effect on the movie industry. And, yeah, about the same time, the local hotels, they used to close at 6 o'clock and the drunks would stagger in and uh, <laughs> sit in the, the cinema uh, just to sober up. But then the 10 o'clock closing came in with the pubs and uh, we lost that uh, uh, line of business. 1969 comes along, so many years after that, but um, your parents eventually sell the picture theatre um, to, to a business we mentioned a little bit earlier, to Walton's, yep. um, which no, Walton's long, no longer exists. No longer exists. It was located um, where the, where the tra- it's not even called Trade Secret now, TK Maxx, I think, um, That's it. is these days. Uh, an incredible story, really, because that is one of the most prominent locations and buildings in Penrith, but do you know how much they sold it for? Well... Um, my dad sold it for a hundred and one thousand dollars, which in nineteen sixty nine was a huge amount, and uh, I just couldn't imagine what it would be worth today. But uh, it would be staggering. But nineteen sixty nine was really a big year in Penrith when things started to happen. At that stage, Henry Street only went as far as um, Station Street, and in nineteen sixty nine they extended. Henry Street all the way to meet up with High Street. Um, my dad sold uh, the picture theatre to Walton's and I really believe that was a catalyst that got things moving with the Penrith Plaza. There'd been rumours for many years that this big shopping centre was going to come to Penrith. Roselands had been opened and uh, with Walton's deciding to come to Penrith, well, I'm pretty sure um, that sort of made them sit up and take notice. Absolutely. And I mean, uh, I think that in that era as well, obviously, as you just mentioned, things were starting to, to move and, and whatnot. But it must have been sad as well to see some of those traditions go. Like the picture theatre obviously um, closed its doors. Um, yep. You know, it's sad. Like we, we, we need progress, but it's also sad when you see some of those things from your childhood and the Penrith that you knew disappear. 
Well, it certainly was. But look, the culture of Penrith is still here. We're, we're, we're very proud. We've got a wonderful uh, football, Panthers. Um, and look, it, it's a really great place to live. After all that, your dad retired, um, but his love of Penrith and, and history was certainly evident. Um, I've heard about a lot of his collections, including yep. uh, Penrith cordial bottles. Uh, t- <laughs> tell me about that and, and some of the other things that he collected that I guess was a mixture of his passion for collecting, but his passion for Penrith as well. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, he did not restrict himself to anything. Uh, he was passionate about all things old. And my dad had a huge collection of bottles, all different types of uh, bottles, but He was really proud to have a full collection of the Penrith Cordials uh, bottles. Uh, Penrith Cordials uh, was a factory uh, in Station Street next to the old Nepean Times building and I guess that would be about where the New South Wales government building is now. Mm. Um, And uh, when buildings were being knocked down in Penrith, gee, you'd see my dad rummaging amongst (laughs) all all the, the rubble and what have you to... Find, to, to find something of historical uh, significance and uh, it's really great that he did that. Uh, on one occasion, um, there was a chemist shop just down from, well, uh, the old post office which used to be the Penrith Press, a bit further down from the Happy Inn Chinese restaurant. Uh, the chemist shop was called Judge's Pharmacy and when it closed, my dad went there and he got all of the, the bottles, the compounding mm. medicine bottles and all their records, uh, these huge big books. And it had all of the sicknesses and uh, ali- uh, illnesses that the early pioneers of Penrith had. And uh, my dad was, mum and dad were uh, keen members of the uh, Nepean Historical Society and um, they were passed over. As a matter of fact, you can go, there's a windmill there at um, the Arms of Australia and uh, my mum and dad uh, donated that and there's a small plaque on the windmill to that effect. Okay, that's the uh, the Arms of Australia in there at, um, at Emu Plains. Yep. All right, let's focus on you a little bit, um, the next generation, of course, after your mum and dad. Um, where did you go to school and, and what was Penrith like in those days? Well, uh, Penrith was a much smaller town than it is today, um, and I went to Penrith Infants, which uh, is in Henry Street, uh, next to the Lemon Grove Bridge, and then uh, on to Penrith Primary in high school, and Penrith High School as well. Uh, um, Like, would you believe that the nearest high schools uh, was St Mary's and Katoomba, and all the kids would have to... uh, come down uh, from those areas and look I don't know how many high schools there are these days but certainly a lot more than that and for swimming for school sport um, um, you just could not believe there was no swimming pool in Penrith and so for sport we had to travel to Parramatta and that was the closest swimming pool. Wow, okay. Yeah. And what about what you wanted to do after school? Because a lot of us want to follow often, and it just happens, our our parents' footsteps. Your dad was in the movie business, pretty lucrative um, and exciting business, I guess, at the time. Did you want to follow into that original, you know, want to follow his footsteps originally? Oh, Troy, I absolutely loved uh, the movies and all the movie stars and all that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, But... Hoyts and Greater Union, they were very, very powerful uh, and they were owned by uh, 20th Century Fox and the J. Arthur Rank Organisation of the UK. And so they controlled the distribution and uh, all the theatre chains. And 
we, as a small independent theatre here in Penrith, we could not show uh, movies simultaneous with the city. And big blockbuster movies like Sound of Music, South Pacific, Ben-Hur, um, well, we had to wait. They, they went for over 12 months. And by the time we'd got them, everybody had seen them. They'd been on the train, they went to town and seen those movies. And I mean, would you believe that we'd have to pay 70 or 80% of the gross takings just to have these movies and all the expenses, including advertising and the movie posters, we'd have to buy them too. And then they had the audacity to send out these checkers, these checkers that would come and check uh, the, the tickets. And they also had clickers and they, they'd, they'd be standing at the door clicking the number of people that were going in. But in order for us to get these movies, you'd have to sign a contract with the movie studio to take 10 or 12 other movies. And they were usually duds. But instead of paying a huge percentage, it would only be 20 or 30%. But the problem was, more often than not, you'd be showing, to, showing them to yourself or just a half a dozen people. <laughs> So obviously, it, it, like many industries, the the bigger players came along and it, and it sort of didn't have the uh, the aura it once did. So the movie business didn't end up being for you, and and that's I guess where we we take the next step. And uh-huh. most people would know you for your long-standing business that you had in Penrith for a very long time, Scotts Auto One, of course, a pretty iconic location there for a long time on on York Road. Where did that journey start? for you because it took a long time to get to to auto one i know your dad had some history in spare parts and the service station and whatnot but how did that all start well at the time uh, i thought i I come to realize that there was no future in the cinema but my dad had leased out the petrol garage uh, and had almost closed the spare parts business and so i'd work in the spare parts during the day and the picture theater at night uh, the spare parts business, it started off straight away. As soon as uh, we took uh, an interest in our customers and we just tried that little bit harder, the business responded. In fact, we were the smallest in the town and Repco, they were the biggest. But it started to change. You know, like their staff, they would send difficult customers to us. They would send customers that wanted hard to get things. And we just tried that little bit harder. And and so uh, a lot of those people, they came to us first because, uh, you know, they appreciated what we did. My brother, he came into the business as well when he left school. And before long, we started to get calls from the trade. We put on a driver who took orders as well, who, who not only delivered, but took orders from the trade. And we started to employ about seven or eight people and we had about three or four delivery vehicles. In fact, we d- delivered as far as Katoomba and Lithgow every day. Okay. And how did the business model work? Because you managed to expand it, but obviously you had to fight off the big players as well, similar to the, the movie business, I guess. Yep. But how, how did it all expand? Because um, the Auto One brand became uh, pretty big. Well, I guess uh, we started to attract a bit of attention. And, and that in those days, um, a lot of these big companies, they saw the opportunity that there is in Penrith. In fact, the opportunities are still here in Penrith. And so um, big companies like Pacific Dunlop and Coles Meyer, if they wanted to expand their business, uh, they thought that Penrith was a great place to test their market. And so uh, a, a business called 
uh, FJ Auto Plus. Um, they opened in Henry Street opposite the courthouse in that complex there. And uh, there was my car. Coles Meyer started my car. Um, where Autobahn is now in Evan Street. Uh, and, of course, they're big public companies. They could advertise on TV. And, of course, uh, look, you'd pick up the local paper and they'd have uh, six or eight full-page advertisements in the local papers. And, quite frankly, there was no way that uh, we could compete uh, with that. Uh, and more often, you know, their prices were very predatory. Uh, they'd sell things at our cost or even below and uh, But you know something, Troy? A lot of these people, they only lasted 12 to 18 months, a bit like masters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very easy to compete. Uh, it, it's very easy to spend someone else's money. Um, and shareholder, the shareholders of these big public companies are not very happy. And uh, when they find out these things, they soon get rid of uh, the people that do that. But all too often, those people, um, they uh, get golden handshakes to get rid of them. Obviously, the business became extremely popular. And I mean, it was, you know, it really became the go-to place in in Penrith. And obviously, those other surrounds that you had as well, um, the other shops. But in Penrith, you know, Scott's Auto One became quite iconic. Well, it certainly did. And uh, as I guess I was saying a moment ago, with all that competition, uh, uh, we couldn't compete against that. But what I decided to do was to form a group and uh, to contact other spare part people around around Sydney um, to form a, a marketing group uh, to buy in bulk and to get better prices. And look, I got an idea. I, I uh, spoke to the managing director of Mitre 10 and I, I called a meeting. We had the meeting at Panthers and I came up with the name Auto One. At the time, there was Furniture One up on the Northern Road. Mobile, uh, they called their oil Mobile One. And of course, in motor racing, Formula One uh, is the first grade. Mm. And, you know, to be the best, you've got to be number one. Uh, well, um, at the meeting, uh, it was immediately accepted and everyone was on board. Um, we had Thomas Marsden, they're the local advertising company here in Penrith. Joe Grassi was working for Lamrocks and he did all the legal work. Burger Peepers, uh, they do the accounting and still do the accounting for Auto One. Well, now we had the purchasing power to buy in bulk and we could advertise on TV and print catalogues. And so we started to get inquiries from country New South Wales. We had a meeting in Bathurst, attended by 10, 10, 15 other spare parts shops, and they came on board straight away. So it started to grow. Um, Had inquiries from Queensland, Victoria, Western Australia, and would you believe, even New Zealand. And so Auto One very quickly became 100 stores in Australia and 20 in New Zealand. Yeah, quite quite an incredible story and... Um, just about how the little guy, I guess, fought back um, in in all of that. But a few years ago, you exited the business. Um, it was a bit of a shock to a lot of people. Um, wh- why did you reach that decision? Where did um, where did you decide that it was the the end of the road? Well, regrettably, um, we all get old, and uh, whilst I feel very young up in my head, uh, you can't deny. And 
business succession uh, is the big issue for small family businesses. Who do you hand the business over to? And so over the years, we'd investigated various options and had people uh, come and talk to our children and our staff as to uh, the continuity of our business. And regrettably, in the end, well, in some respects regrettable, but in others not. We sold the business to Repco as a going concern and that was the best possible outcome because our staff uh, were all retained and many of them are still there now. But with the evolution of the motor car and internet commerce, Troy, I doubt whether we would survive. So it was a very good outcome. Yeah, and I mean, I guess you've just got to know sometimes when to exit, just like your dad did back in... uh in 1969 with the uh, the theatre. You've just got to know sometimes that the time is up because a lot of people can get themselves into trouble by staying too long, I guess. You are exactly right, yep. All right, now look, um, let's talk family. Um, you married your wife, Katrina, six years ago. Uh, tell me about that and how you got together and, um, yeah, and, and the story behind all of that. Well, Troy, um, our families had known each other for many years and Katrina and I had many mutual friends. But it wasn't until uh, I met up with Katrina at church one evening that um, uh, we reconnected. And my mum and uh, her dad were good friends in the Eden Glassy nursing home there at Lemon Grove. And they were absolutely thrilled when we got married. And between us, we have eight adult children and 11 wonderful grandchildren. Indeed, we are truly blessed and uh, they are all doing very well for themselves. Thank you very much. One of your children, um, Fiona, she uh, became the federal member for Lindsay just in another, uh, sure did. I guess, twist and, and you know, proof that your family is just so connected to, to Penrith. Um, you don't really have a political background, really. It doesn't sound like your family did. So were you surprised when Fiona followed that path? No, not really. I was not surprised at all. Uh, uh, Fiona attended uh, a Rotary Rylar conference. Um, that's a, a Rotary Youth Leadership Program. And we were also gold sponsors of Penrith Panthers for many years. And uh, they would have uh, functions, they'd have presentation nights. And on one occasion, Fiona and I were sitting at a table with Jackie Kelly. And Jackie started, uh, Jackie asked uh, Fiona if she would represent her at some of the functions that she's not able to get to. And I think that's what really uh, sparked Fiona's interest. Yeah, okay. And um, of course, uh, Fiona was the, the, uh, the federal MP from, uh, for three years there and um, now continues to work in, uh, in the media and doing other bits and pieces. Your focus, though, um, after you know, leaving the business has, has turned to back into the community and particularly with Rotary. Um, have you been involved in with Rotary for a long time or was that something that came up in the last few years? Well, my dad had been a member of Rotary for many, many years. Um, and uh, whilst he was a member, uh, I thought it was a good idea to join Rotary as well. And I was actually the president of Penrith Rotary back in 1995. Uh, however, uh, I did drop out of Rotary for a couple of years, but uh, having retired, I reconnected with uh, Rotary. And I came home one night from Rotary and told Katrina that the incoming president had resigned from the board. And she told me that she believed that I could make a difference for the better in Rotary and that I should run as president. And so I did. Uh, But since then, uh, 
Katrina has also uh, joined Rotary, and that's a great encouragement um, uh, to have your partner, your wife, uh, to really support you. How important is Rotary to you? Because it's um, you love this community. You mentioned that you grew up here, and, and you must see the work that Rotary does in, I guess, promoting the you know the great community spirit here and, and helping people out. Um, it's become pretty important to you, I'm guessing. You're certainly right there, Troy. Um, Rotary is much, much more than barbecues at Bunnings on the weekend. Uh, We're a group of friends and we enjoy doing good things in the community. Uh, We enjoy the fellowship of working together. Uh, It's not a men's only club and you don't have to go there every week and it's certainly not just for old people. Uh, We are members from all works of life. uh, Rotary, Rotary's been going for 113 years and our club in Penrith, uh, it's been going for 73 years. And again, would you believe that the very first Rotary meeting was held in uh, the Dungown Theatre? Wow, there you go. That's a you know interesting link back to, to your family. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but Rotary's done lots of good things in the Penrith area. Hope Cottage, again, when I was president, uh, that project was started, whereby it's an accommodation unit similar to uh, Ronald McDonald Houses where um, family members of uh, people that are in the cancer care unit or the neonatal intensive care unit are able to stay overnight uh, and be with their families. Um, um, But Rotary Australia, Rotary Australia is uh, an aim to eradicate trachoma. Trachoma is a disease in the eyes, an infection that is caused by flies and uh, hygiene. And so Rotary is promoting that, and it's our objective to get rid of that by 2020. Rotary International with eradication of polio. Bill and Melinda Gates, um, they've donated over $350 million, and Rotary has matched that. And back in, I think it was 1988, there was over 300,000 people um, die from polio and so far this year, only six people. So very, very close mm. to eradicating polio. Obviously, a lot of um, community work, a lot of work in business. You, you've had a lot of um, different twists and turns in Penrith. Who would you consider the greatest influences in, in your life as you, as you look back? Um, well, apart from my very strong Christian faith, I, it is my parents. Uh, I have always been uh, strongly influenced by my parents, And my dad would say on many occasions he always wanted to leave things a bit better than the way he found them. And last question, the the last question we always ask on this podcast, how would John Scott like to be remembered? Well, Troy, it's only half time. (laughs) And uh, in the second half, the Panthers always come back. So it's only half time for me. Every day is a plus and I'm hoping to make the most of it. But answer your question, I think I'd like to be remembered as an honest, hardworking businessman who had the love, uh, love and respect of his family, but also a man who loved his family and the community 
greatly. Well, thank you, Troy. I think you've already uh, you've already achieved all of that. Uh, John, <laughs> thank you very much for joining us on the On The Record podcast. Troy, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to be able to share the story of my family. Um, my family, similar circumstances to yours. Um, we're a small family business in Penrith, and we had enormous challenges against uh, the big companies. And it's really great to see the Western Weekender with the competition that you've had, and you're doing a fantastic job. That is John Scott there on the On The Record podcast presented by The Western Weekender. And don't forget, you can listen to the other podcasts in this series by heading to westernweekender.com.au slash podcast, or, of course, finding the podcast on both iTunes, Podcast Addict, or wherever else that you can get the, uh, the podcast stream from Apple iTunes. Don't forget The Western Weekender out every Friday, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and check out westernweekender.com.au. We'll see you next time.